Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. Today, I'm joined by a guest. He goes by Mike No-Go Zones. And Mike is an interesting guy. Um, he basically spends his time traveling through the Middle East, Kabul, uh, the craziest places on the planet, basically documenting what it's like on the ground. Um, Mike's coming to us live right now from Miami. How's it going, man? It's going very good. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm uh, a big fan of your website. So uh, I've been uh, following it for years. I love the city guides, especially how you have everything formatted and laid out. It's very, uh, very user-friendly. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know you were a fan of the website. How how long have you um, been aware of My Latin Life? Uh, i say probably about close to two years. No, actually a little longer because it was, must have been two years before the pandemic hit and kind of, you know, travel kind of stopped for a while. Mm -hmm. So I was reading um, your Columbia guides because I remember I was going to Columbia quite often mm -hmm. before I started my own series uh, on YouTube. But I would use it as a guide to see like, you know, maybe... It's a cool city to hit up. Yeah, exactly. And, and for anyone listening that's not familiar, My Latin Life is first and foremost a website. That's what's been around since 2014. And we're very famous or infamous for our city guides. So mm -hmm. for, I'd say, 100 plus cities in Latin America, we have city by city guides. In Colombia, you know, it's Medellin, Cartagena, Bogota, etc. Mm -hmm. And what to do, where to stay. What's the nightlife like? Recommendations on where to go? Um, how adapted is it for digital nomads and, and travelers? And so we, yeah, so go check out the website for City Guide. So that's awesome that uh, you've been familiar with the website and uh, put it to use a little bit, maybe used it to inspire you and where to go and, uh, you know, possible destinations. Absolutely. Uh, that's just before I started my series. Um like I told you earlier, I mean, hopefully with the coming year and in the future, I will be filming in Colombia, Peru, Brazil. It's uh, there's a lot of so-called no-go zones in those uh, countries. <laughs> like uh, not not to put it down, but every city in Latin America has its good area and its mm -hmm. rough part of town. And what I do is I explore the rough part of town and uh, go where we're not supposed to go to and. Uh, you do find, uh, just because a, a neighborhood has a bad reputation, you do find uh, a lot of cultural, a lot of culture going on there and uh, whether it's in music, art, expression. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of like going to, let's say, to Medellin and uh, going to El Poblado and hitting up the local Hooters, which is fine, but <laughs> you're not really getting, you're not immersing yourself into the local culture by doing that, you know? Yep. And so you're better off going to... Uh, Comune Trece or yeah, uh, probably even some lesser known ones. And right. um, there, there are some YouTubers out there. I don't know who you were inspired by. Um, and, and we'll get back to give like a, 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 for, a more formal background, but who were you inspired by in terms of the, the I, I always love these guys that they just be like, all right, let's head to the ghetto and see if we can get someone to invite us into their house for tea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I got to give a shout out to the godfather of unconventional travel, and that would be the late Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Uh, his show was groundbreaking because um, this is back when the Travel Channel actually used to put travel shows. 
back in the day. Uh, now it's all paranormal stuff, but um, he was the first major tour guide because back then, whether it's Rick Steve or Samantha Brown, not to knock what they're doing, they do good job, but they would go to all mm-hmm. the tourist uh, user-friendly places. Like they go to, mm-hmm. uh, here's a gondola ride in Venice or uh, here's the right. Colosseum of Rome. Great, great stuff, but it's been done a million times and uh, you, everyone has seen it. Whereas Anthony Bourdain would go to the Congo. He went to uh, the slums of Brazil. He was in Rio de Janeiro and he actually mm-hmm. went into the favelas and would eat there, um, talk to the people. And uh, when he passed, I was like, wow, uh, now that we lost him, uh, who's going to pick up the mantle and keep it going? Now, I'm not comparing myself to him in any way. He's he's accomplished way more of a, than any, most people could. But I was like, between his passing and um, the way media totally presents, sells a narrative on certain places like Syria, Mm-hmm. For example, I was there and I filmed an episode there. If you believe what mainstream media tells you, it's a country full of jihadists, uh, beheadings and uh, people that hate us. And uh, what I found there was the total opposite. And uh, that's kind of just what really uh, got me to like, you know what? Someone needs to show the other side of life. Someone needs to show what's going on in the, the so-called no-go zone. So I figured, you know what? Why not grab my camera and just start recording my experiences? And it's been going well so far. So when did Mike No-Go Zones come about as a brand and as uh, you, um, par- you know, partaking in these missions? Uh, 2019 in the summer. I figured, uh, well, let me start. I live in Miami. And of course, Miami, what do you think of Miami? You think of the South Beach, uh, Brickell. You think of uh, the glam, the very glam lifestyle, the champagne, the, the clubs, Velvet rope, you know, that's what we see in the media. But there's another side to Miami that no one covers, and that's the the bad areas of Miami. And there's a area of Miami called Opalaca, which is very industrial, kind of run down, and um, it's considered not safe for tourists. And I figured, well, let me – no one goes here. Let me check this uh, neighborhood out. And that was my very first episode. I figured, let me just go into my backyard. Mm-hmm. And that's how uh, the series was born. It was actually born in a – craft brewery there there's a little place called legacy caribbean brewery in the middle of like this forlorn uh, industrial area of opalaca and this guy opened up a craft brewery there and you know craft brewery is kind of known for being in trendy areas uh especially in miami and uh-huh. uh, i asked him when i walked in there i go what made you open up this brewery here and he goes well Every time someone in Opalaka wants to do something fun or something nice, we have to get in our car and drive for 30 minutes to go to the nicer parts of Miami. And he goes, why can't we have something nice? Why can't we have something nice here? And it really dawned on them. like, wow, he, I never looked at it that way. And I'm like, uh, yeah, why not? So you can say like the, the genesis for the idea to start filming these areas uh, kind of dawned on me right there. So that's how I was born. And then... Uh, I did more cities. I did uh, the Bronx in New York. I did South Side of Chicago. And then I started branching out, going to uh, other countries such as uh, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq. Yeah. So you did some, some, some good spots in the U.S., Baltimore as well. Yeah. Um, and then I, I guess you sort of went straight to the Middle East. Is this a region, the Middle East, that um, – you've been enamored with for a number of years that you've had experience with in the past, 
or uh, were these sort of like your first times visiting these countries? Uh, I was only in the Middle East once before I started the series. I was in the country of Jordan, mm-hmm. and Jordan is a very stable country for that region. Uh, it's got the ruins of Petra, and uh, it's kind of user-friendly. Everybody speaks English. And uh, I just figured uh, what got me to go to Syria for my first international episode was uh, I came across a travel web, a travel series called Traveling the Unknown. And okay. I saw he was showing Syria, and I'm like, wow. And he goes, I saw how nice it was. And I'm like, wow, this, how is this possible? I, can't, I don't believe Syria has anything to show me. But he, he actually, I actually wrote to him. And he started to watch my show and I started to watch his series and he goes, Hey, I'm organizing a trip to Syria. Why don't you come along? I think it'd be a great way to get your feet wet here. And uh, lo and behold, what happens is also when you go to a place like Syria, you make uh, contacts with other people. I'm like, Oh, right. here, you should check this place out. So of course you meet people that way. And then little by little, I've been going through the middle East. It's a fascinating region to me because it's where history was born. And, uh, what we see in the media is very different from what you experience firsthand. Cause uh, you know, every time you turn on the, the news, it's uh, you see the guys uh, chanting the death to America, you know, jihadists uh, running around. And when you get there, it's a totally different story. People are kind, very respectful, or they ask mm-hmm. you where you're from. And I, I never once hit the fact that I'm American either. I'm always telling them I'm from the States. And be like, thank you for coming. Thank you for, and then we see with my camera. Like, you're thank not you shy about it. You say I'm American. I, I I've never lied yet. Okay. And I don't plan on. You're not like I'm. I'm from Peru. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could um, say that, but no, I just say, you know what? If uh, accept me for what I am. So far, nothing and, has happened yet. You know. And and just for a little bit uh, more background, it. Um, so you grew up in, in the New York area um, yes. and you're, I guess, of at least part uh, Latino background. I am. Um, what, what, um, what was it like um, growing up in sort of a multi, multicultural environment in New York and how has it sort of uh, shaped you today? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, my father's from Italy, by the way. So mm-hmm. I had an, an Italian father, a Peruvian mother, born in the United States. And uh, it was good. It gave me a love of travel. That's, that's one thing. Because uh, ever since I was a child, we had to go to Peru to visit family. And then once in a while, I had to go to Italy to visit that, fa- that side of the family. Mm-hmm. So from a very young age, I had a big love of traveling. And um, also different languages. Because we spoke Spanish in the house. Uh, mm-hmm. My Italian is kind of weak, but I, do, I can get by. So right from a young age, uh, I was learning uh, a new language. And uh, I guess it made me appreciate uh, to look beyond the borders of our country that there's another world out there. And it's a lesson I'm uh, very grateful for my parents to show me that uh, it's a pretty diverse world out there. And it's not uh, just the suburbs of New York where I grew up. I, town that's called Farmingdale, by the way. It's a very you know middle-class area. Not a whole lot going on. Very homogenous. At least it was back when I was growing up there. So, uh, yeah, I guess you can say I really, from a young age, I already uh, was broadening my horizons. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah. uh, I guess a little bit about myself. I'm from Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the most diverse cities in the world. Right. More than 50% of the people in the city were born outside of Canada. Uh, we have people from er- literally every country on the planet. Um, for, for a lot of countries, the largest diaspora group is in Toronto or in Canada, whether that be like Eritreans or Jamaicans wow. or like a million, yeah. a million things. Right. Um, so I grew up around a lot of diversity, but, mm-hmm. uh, but grew up in pretty much like a normal, like white kind right. of like Irish Italian household, you know Same what I mean? <laughs> um, and so I was always fascinated by this stuff and I just felt like I, I needed to learn more about the world because it, it was sort of like at my doorstep, but it wasn't. And I, I was always fascinated by languages because uh, it just seemed like a superpower. So I guess you fell into Spanish a little bit more naturally. H- how's things been going, uh, I guess, learning Arabic for, for some of these trips? Uh, not good. <laughs> my Arabic is horrendous. I probably can say 10 words in Arabic. Mm-hmm. You know, hello, goodbye, uh, you know, marhaba and all that. Uh, I can say uh, uh, shukran, thank you, things like mm-hmm. that. But uh, I, it's a regret. I really should take a class one of these days because it's uh, – luckily, most people in the hospitality industry do speak English. But it's something I really need to get work, improve on. And mm-hmm. uh, shame on me for that. Shame on me. I, yeah, I think people who, who aren't maybe familiar with some of the – the history of um, uh, Spain and, and the Arab conquest and everything would be surprised to know that actually in Spanish, mm-hmm. they, there's a lot of Arabic words. I would, there are yes. thousands of Arabic literally. words in Spanish, literally, Absolutely. Uh, whether it be like almohada, which is like a pillow, anything with like al, yeah. uh, algebra, yep. um, you know, things like that. So, Olives, yeah. Azeituna, azete, azúcar, which is sugar. Um, so a lot of words actually that have even made its way to the English language originally mm-hmm. come from Arabic. Absolutely. Um, so as a, as a Spanish speaker, you get a little bit of a head start with Arabic. And yeah, it's also just kind of cool. It is. It's, but uh, it's the script. It's reading it. <laughs> that's that's the, the tough part. Because whenever you're dealing with different uh, alphabet, it's it's a game changer. It's true, but at least Arabic is an alphabet with 26, 28, whatever letters. And so it's a letter-based alphabet, which makes it at least a little bit more familiar than, say, Chinese or something that's character-based. So at very least, it's an alphabet. And, you know, so it it, it sort of follows that same structure. Um, I I, I actually do a little bit of Arabic on on Duolingo. I've I've gotten some streaks going. and Nice. well so done. I do a little bit, but I've never been over there. So you went to Syria. Damascus is obviously a city uh, with an enormous history in um, a place that's been had an enormous impact on, on actually human history and the development of civilization. Um, how much of it for you is that you're a student of history and you're looking to see these historic sites and stuff? Um, uh, or is it more just about sort of like the people and the current movement and what's going on now? That's a little bit of both. I mean, amazing. Like you'll see uh, one thing about Syria that also the mainstream media doesn't show is it's very diverse. Um, it's There's like, you have the Sunnis, you have the Shias there, you have uh, the Alawites, which is a different branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Druze, you have uh, like, 
five different sects of Christianity there. Mm-hmm. And one thing that surprised me was the amount of churches that I saw there mm-hmm. active. And I'm like, wow, how come CNN never shows this? They kind of just push that to the side. Um, any student of history should go there because uh, that's where the first alphabet was created. Uh, the first musical notes were recorded there. So there's a lot to see there. And whether you're like, one of my favorite time periods to in history was the Crusades. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I saw an actual Crusader castle, I was like, wow, I'm, it was like that movie Kingdom of Heaven coming to life. So that's stuff, uh, <laughs> stuff like that I really appreciate. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Wait, and, which movie? Uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. I like um, these like heroic, like brave yeah, type it's, movies. It's so. one of those Ridley Scott <laughs> movies like Gladiator. Yeah, exactly. That's the best. Exactly. Spot. That's well, if you like that, yeah, it's right up your alley. Okay. Kingdom of Heaven. Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, okay, okay. Rings the bell a bit. Okay, they go to Jerusalem, etc. Oh, it is Ridley Scott. Yeah. Really. Yep. Yep. Dope. Okay. And then, so what was the game plan or, and I guess more than just like from a high level in terms of all your no go zone travel, do you have sort of like a theme or a sort of like guiding philosophy or are you like engaging in a particular activity? Like for Bourdain, like he used food as sort of like a medium of communication. Other people might use maybe archaeology as a medium Mm -hmm. of communication and, and they go to these places because they love to travel, but they'll use the excuse of like digging up bones or something. Right. <laughs> um, I hear you. Do you do you have like sort of was there something was there like a consistent theme between uh, all the destinations that you've been to? Uh, well, food and local drink I do feature in every episode. I'm like, hey, this is what I drank. This is what I ate. But um, mostly it's to dispel what mainstream media has been selling you. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, when I went to Damascus and we actually did like a pub crawl, which you don't think, no one thinks of nightlife in Damascus. Very few people do, but there's actually a lively scene there. And I try in to highlight 2019. Things. Yeah. Actually, I was there in 2020, January 2020. I was there. Unreal. Yeah. And that's uh, like a Mark Zolo thing. <laughs> yeah. I was speaking of which, mutual friend of ours. And actually, uh, if you've seen the Siri episode, I put a very tiny little clips of uh, one of the nightclubs we hit up and uh, it was fun. It was uh, cause you don't think of Syria, you don't think of wine, you don't think of beer, but it's there. And um, uh-huh. the government is actually secular. So you're allowed to drink. Oh, no way. Yeah. 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 It's uh, got a lively, Damascus has a lively uh, bar scene. And uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this in the recording or just in the pre-conversation I'm, any more coffee, but um, the re- the way I originally first heard about you was through Mark Zolo. Okay, so I've always been a big fan of Mark Zolo. I've always been a big fan of these sort of adventure travelers, mm-hmm. whether it be uh, Jim Rogers, the investor, or uh, Sir Richard Burton, who was um, mm-hmm. the first European to go to Mecca in the yeah. 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so across all sort of like generations and stuff, I've just always been fascinated uh, by these sort of like heroic travelers. Um, and so I love Mark Zolo. He was, he was, uh, one of the early guests on the podcast and I had seen that you guys collaborated in the past. So I had known about you for a little bit now. And I, I do find it fascinating because I really think you're, you're literally like doing God's work because (laughs) I mean, there are these places that are no go zones. There are these places that 
it's high tension. It's dangerous. It's very yes. difficult to to get insight into what's actually going on on the ground. And it really takes someone like yourself who's willing to brave those dangers. And uh, not only that, but uh, what's the word? Like record and document right. and document what's going on on the ground. And documenting is is adds an additional layer of difficulty and danger on top of just being there. It's true because uh, people do see the camera. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, not everybody likes being filmed. I try to be as polite as possible and tell people, hi, I'm going to be recording here. Try to get permission and uh, kind of get their blessing. Is it okay to f- film here? And I have been turned down in some places, but for 99% of the time, people are like, yeah, go ahead. Start filming. Oh, yeah. And to bring back uh, to the Mark Zola connection, uh, we were supposed to do Afghanistan together. But... Um, he couldn't make it because his visa got denied. I should have joked with him. like, maybe they read your book. Maybe that's why they denied it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was stuck in Kabul on my own and uh, he couldn't make it. It was just not just him. It was him and uh, two other guys and uh, they all, all their visas got denied. And then uh, what happened was that, uh, so, well, I'm here on my own. I might as well start recording. And that's what I did. The episode actually came out to be very good. But there is a happy ending to everything. We all got to meet up in Istanbul when everything was finished and done and we all got to hang out and finally like, wow, we, we made it. So that was a nice way to end everything. And it's featured in the video too. We uh, did hit up a pub and then we went out at night and, you know, we mm-hmm. went through several bottles of wine, I think, but uh, we had a good time. We had a good time. Istanbul is a cool city. That's dope. I mean, I haven't met Mr. Zolo in person, but it's definitely on my bucket list to uh, share a couple of bottles of wine with him. Sure. No, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the Irish are good storytellers. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, this hopefully I'll cross paths uh, again one day. So, And just to give people an idea, so, I mean, how many episodes of uh, No-Go Zones have you filmed? And just sort of rattle off some of the names of the cities and countries that you've uh, filmed in. Sure. Uh, it's about 13 episodes so far. Uh, first one's Miami, Opalaka. So if people want to see a different side of Miami instead of like uh, – you know, the beaches and the nightlife, go to see Opalaka. Then I, uh, New York City, the South Bronx, which has a horrible reputation, but the South Bronx of New York gave the world uh, a lot. Uh, Hip hop was born there. Whether you like it or not, it's it's a musical genre that, look at at it now. Uh, Salsa music was born there too. Speaking of my Latin life. Yeah, uh, what happened was that uh, Cuban immigrants brought son, uh, which is like the Cuban folk music, and they went to New York City and they heard jazz for the first time. And they said, wow, with the horn sections and all that, because Cuban music back then was more uh, guitar-based. Mm-hmm. And they heard all the, these horn sections of jazz. And I guess some of them were like, hey, what, what would happen if we took our Latin music, add these horns, and boom, salsa music was born. So that's something that the Bronx gave us, you know. That's crazy. And yeah, that does actually ring a bell. Like I know I'm not super well versed in the New York Latin music scene, but I know like a lot of the early like Puerto Rican guys and Cuban guys, they were all sort of like cute, like Cuban American, Puerto Rican American. And they were, and they would like go back and forth and, um, and they would record in New York and then they'd go back, uh, Mm -hmm. to the Island and record there. And, um, 
I wouldn't be able to give names, but yeah, that's that that definitely sounds feasible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on salsa. I'm a, by the way, I'm not a, I'm not a good dancer, but uh, it was born in uh, by that mixing of ja- American jazz and uh, the Latin rhythms, and uh, you know, of course, singing in Spanish, and they kind of married. And the child they had is uh, what we know as salsa music today. So the fact that one part of New York gave us two genres of music is it's amazing. Uh, to keep mm-hmm. going on, I was in uh, Chicago. I did the South Side of Chicago, which also has a really bad reputation. And uh, people were cool there. And then I went to Baltimore, the west side of Baltimore, which is, that was probably the roughest place I've ever been to. And I'm including Kabul. <laughs> I, uh, that was the only time I had my life threatened. And uh, it was because it was my fault. I uh, filmed a drug deal by accident. So you can imagine, uh, you know, these guys are doing an tr- illegal transaction on the corner. And by accident, I stumbled upon them and uh, filmed it. And uh, you can say they weren't too pleased. But once I explained to them who I was and what I was doing, they actually, like, stopped and looked me up on their phone right there. Like, oh, okay. And they're like, they kind of let me go. And and I had to pixelate that whole scene out. I couldn't put it in the video because uh, I gave them my business cards, too. So they all know my name, my number, <laughs> like, all my personal information. All right, so your YouTube channel gave you a hood pass. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> uh, then I went to New Orleans. Uh, again, New Orleans uh, has its, I went to the, not the French Quarter. I went to uh, the Lower Ninth Ward. That was the, the neighborhood that got totally devastated in uh, Hurricane Katrina. So I wanted to see how that area was rebounding. And it is. It is rebounding. And then I went to Syria. And then I did Lebanon. And then I went to, then I stayed back in Miami again. I did Miami Gardens, which is considered like a rough part of Miami. Mm-hmm. But the irony about Miami Gardens is that it's, um, our football stadium is there where the Miami Dolphins play. Yep. And beautiful stadium, gorgeous, but it's in the middle of an area that's kind of considered the uh, people strictly drive into the stadium. And as soon as the game is over, boom, they're, they're out of there. They leave. So I said, why not explore the surrounding area? And it turned out to be a good episode, too. Uh, then from there, I went to uh, Seattle after the riots there. I don't know if you remember, but there was that summer where they had all these riots in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. The, the, the block that like yeah, was like yeah. sovereign. Yeah, uh, Ch- Ch- Chaz, I think they called it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I got there too late because by the time I got there, it was already dismantled. So there really wasn't much to see. And then uh, I went to uh, Afghanistan. Oh, I did Detroit. Detroit, too, has a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. But I found a city. It's uh, definitely rebounding. And then I went to uh, Kabul. Mm-hmm. And then I did a little episode in Turkey, uh, Istanbul. But that's kind of a bonus video. It's kind of like uh, East, I tell everyone, listen, this is, Istanbul is a great city. Everyone should see it once. And it was like a bonus video. And then I did uh, Iraq. That was the last episode that I did. There you go. That's the whole rundown of uh, every episode. And in the uh, U.S. episodes, were you just happening to be in the city and said, you know what, I'll, I'll film a little episode on the side? Or did you really go specifically uh, to, to do these no-go zone missions? No, no. I would uh, plan a trip there. Like, yeah. For example, for- to New Orleans, I planned a trip and I did, would do my research. Okay, while I'm in this part of town – what is there to see? What is there to do? So I actually do a little bit of research before going. I have yet to film an episode uh, on a whim like that. 
Mm-hmm. I like to have a little bit of background, do a little bit of research before jumping and, on. And plane. even in the U.S., would you try to get like a fixer or someone on the ground that can sort of take you around? Like you go to South Side of Chicago, are you with someone? Or? No, I was on my own. <laughs> totally on my own. The only time I used guides was in uh, like Kabul, Syria, and um, in Iraq. That's it. That's the only time I actually had like a fixer. You can is other way to put it. Yeah, I'd say definitely in uh, Middle East, a fixer is a good idea. And they're, and they're yeah. relatively easy to come across in these oh, yeah. Facebook groups. Um, like there's these like uh, – there's one like um, every travel stamp. Um, there's a couple yeah, every of Every passport stamp. That's the one I belong every, to. Every passport stamp. Uh, there's one counting countries. Mm-hmm. And there are these people that – uh, other people that are enthusiasts about going mm-hmm. to these difficult to travel countries and you can write in like, Hey, I'm looking for a fixture. I'm looking Absolutely. for like a, like a, a chauffeur basically. Does anyone right. know one? And then they'll just like, like send a link to their Facebook friend, like that lives in Kabul and, and mm-hmm. you know, you hit them up and you're on your way. Absolutely. So we're, we're doing some of that. Uh, well, for, not here in the States, but uh, the thing is the trip to Syria and Af- Afghanistan, uh, I kind of, yeah, I did use EPS for Kabul, but not for Iraq and Syria because those trips trips were already uh, prearranged. Mm-hmm. So I just took it like that. Excuse me, just, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so focusing on, on the Middle East a little bit more, just sort of getting getting into it. In, in more detail, um, are you are you really focusing on the capital city where there's maybe a little bit more infrastructure, things are a little bit more familiar, or are you going to uh, more? Are you going to cities? Are you going to like secondary cities? Are you going to small villages? Are you going to historic sites in the middle of nowhere, like a, some random like Roman bridge, or like like how do you how do you think about the places that you want to knock off the list? Well, in Afghanistan, it was strictly Kabul. I wanted mm-hmm. to leave the city for to take a day trip, but my hotel told me uh, the Taliban is active and you might get kidnapped. <laughs> so I figured, you know what, all right, I'll just chill out in Kabul. But in Syria, we took uh, we had uh, trips to like Palmyra, which is like mm-hmm. major uh, ancient ruins. Yep. I did mention the Crusader Castle. That's called Crack the Chevalier. We took a day trip to there, and uh, we did get explore a lot of the secondary cities in Iraq. Yes, Baghdad was our base, but I did go to Karbala and Najaf, which is uh, two secondary cities uh, outside of Baghdad. And those cities I found very fascinating because um, they're considered holy cities for the Shiite sect of Islam. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely uh, unique to see, you know, not being Muslim, but. Um, it's kind of like their Vatican in a way. It's uh, holy, you know, holy temple uh, shrines everywhere, and uh, oh, we couldn't drink there. We couldn't drink alcohol there. No bars in in Karbala or Najaf. But I did bring a couple of bottles of uh, arak with me on the trip. Put in my bag, and <laughs> I mean, I guess it, if if Mark Zola was with you in Afghanistan, you guys would have been smoking a little some. Yeah, we were, uh, you know, the thing was that uh, he had uh, an itinerary planned, but since he couldn't make it, uh, I kind of was on my own and I had to get a last minute guide. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure we'd have had some crazy, if there would have been a bar there or some kind of clandestine uh, gathering, I'm sure uh, he would have found it. But uh, 
in Kabul. Yeah, I was kind of on my own, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you're you're right. He would have found something. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a little shisha bar, and they'd put a little some extra. Yeah, a little extra. Shisha. Yeah, something a little extra. I did try the local shisha, but it was strictly tobacco. Yeah. Nice, and some, yeah. I, I I love mint tea. I was in um I was in Marseille in uh, October November. Nice. Uh, which is very like Arab vibes. And I was seeking out these little cafes and, you know, getting, uh, getting a little pastries and, and a mint tea. Um, so do you have, when you go, do you have any footage that you're really, really trying to get? Do you know what type of footage you're looking for? Or um, are you, are you reaching out to people like maybe like, a, I don't know, like a little school or hospital or whatever, or, or, particular institutions is there any footage that you really need to get or is it all pretty pretty go with the flow yeah just go with the flow i mean if we do visit a school great i'll, I'll film it if not no big deal i mean luckily in the middle east it's so historic like everywhere you go mm -hmm. whether it's a church or a mosque or a temple it's pretty much you can't lift a rock without coming across something historical there it's true how did you how did you find that to be the case in syria like did you find everything, all the historic stuff was kind of demolished or was there definitely, there was there still a lot even in Damascus? Uh, Damascus was never overrun by the rebels. So it's pretty much uh, intact. But when I went to Palmyra, it was said uh, ISIS was there mm -hmm. and they destroyed a lot of it. Some it's intact, but when I saw some of the stuff they ruined, they knocked over, uh, it was, it was heartbreaking. I'm like, wow, it's not just knocking over, right? Like they, they're actually like, uh, sort of acquiring these pieces to sell them to yep. like finance their efforts mm -hmm. in antiquities. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I'm gonna tell you a really sad story. Uh, the curator of, uh, Palmyra, mm -hmm. he hid the most valuable objects to avoid, you know, cause he wanted to save them. Right. And they actually had him at gunpoint to give, you know, tell him uh, where the, the most uh, precious artifacts were. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, say a word and uh, they beheaded him and put his head on display. I mean, sorry to get so grim about this, but uh, it goes to show how brutal ISIS was. And this guy loved Palmyra so much. He sacrificed his life uh, for it. And I mentioned that in my video and it's, well, sorry to put a bummer of a story like that, but it really shows you how, uh, how horrible uh, ISIS was, um, uh, how brutal. That's pretty real. Yeah, that's yeah. Stuff like that is uh, when you hear these stories, it's like, oh my god, it, it just really makes you. I'm blessed to be, you know, <laughs> growing up how I did, and uh, I can't imagine people living through that kind of horror on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm actually getting more and more interested in antiquities and artifacts. Mm -hmm. um, I'm here in Mexico right now, uh, in the uh, Mayan Riviera, where. You know, we, we, there's lots of ruins and, and everything. And a lot of that stuff has actually made its way to museums mm -hmm. and at Harvard and Yale uh, right. <laughs> through, through some of their earlier expeditions. And um, it's, it's interesting. I, I almost don't know what direction to take the conversation because I'd love to like double down on um, some of these countries more to get sort of more of like a mental picture of what's going mm -hmm. on. Uh, but I feel like there's a lot we could cover. Um, what was your, your favorite of uh, the Middle Eastern countries? So I guess it would be between Lebanon, Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, that's Jordan. Lebanon? No, Jordan too, yeah. I didn't film in Jordan. This is before I started uh, the series. Right. Um, I'd say Lebanon. It's uh, so diverse in the culture, so rich. And uh, if you're a Westerner, I guess some people don't like it. It's like, oh, it's too Westernized. But I don't know. I just uh, love the, the history there. Uh, I'm, a, I'm into wine. So <laughs> the, the wine culture of Lebanon is very strong. And if you want to go, uh, it has the Beirut before the uh, before the shutdown, of course, and the blast uh, had the best nightlife in the whole area. Yep, you guys should go gambling. They have a casino in the middle of the city. Uh, if you're single, it's a great place. Uh, a lot of a lot of pretty girls. You know, it's uh, you know. This, I think uh, so. I was a big, a big fan too. Yeah. Um, have you thought about going back now that the because of the blast, like to see yes. how things are going on after the blast. Yes. In fact, the neighborhood I film in is called Mar Michael, which translates to St. Michael in uh, Beirut. Uh, that's the neighborhood that got affected the most. And I would love to see like a before and after, like how is it now after the blast? Yeah. It's actually uh, on my itinerary to return there one day and see, is it recovering from the blast or are they not? You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's terrible what happened. I mean, uh, that city got, uh, a good chunk of it, not all of it, but a good chunk of it got blown to literally like polarized. Boom. I, I actually have a friend, um, a personal friend, uh, a Canadian guy named who goes by Drouster. D R D R O W S T E R Drouster. And he's a, a photographer and he, he does photographs basically in series based on stories. And so you know, he went to India and filmed sort of women at work, mm-hmm. and he went to Lebanon and filmed a series there. And he he's uh, he went to Iraq, filmed a series there. Um, he's spent extensive time in the Middle East on a country by country basis, mm-hmm. um, focusing really on on photographs, um, largely portraits of like the individuals there, and getting like those unreal shots of like you know, the, the shoe shine guy on the streets of Kabul right. and, and, and right. things like that. It's, it's very vibey. I, I feel like I should put you guys in touch. And sure. so he had, he had spent some time in Lebanon um, prior to the blast. He'd done some projects there. And then after the blast happened, he literally flew back like 10 days after the blast. Wow. And he's oh, like, man. he's like, I got to go. I got to be on the ground. I got to see what's up. And, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I definitely want to see how, if, if it's recovering, because uh, the currency right there is uh, in collapse. It's becoming like uh, the new Venezuela, Lebanon. Turkey where, too. Yeah, Turkey too. Uh, I'm hearing stories of uh, uh, fellow travelers going to Lebanon, going out for a steak dinner, bottle of wine with the currency exchange rate of dollars, $15. Fifteen dollars. I mean, it's it's insane. And uh, fifteen dollars in Miami doesn't get you a sandwich. So you can imagine. You know, having <laughs> I, I know a few. I know a few uh, Cuban places that are pretty cheap. Yeah, I guess because I uh, I live by uh, the Wynwood area, which is like our. I live in the hipster neighborhood, so yeah. everything's so overpriced. I'm sure. I mean, uh, if anyone's listening, I mean, if you want a good steak, go to Argentina or Paraguay or Brazil, Absolutely. and uh, you will get a very nice steak and wine for. Uh, mm. Six seven bucks, who knows? Yeah, very cheap. Um, 
in, in Paraguay, they, they sell steak like on the street. They just have like guys with like barbecues like on the corner and you can just get a full steak with like a potato on the side for like 250 That's incredible. Uh, speaking of Paraguay, and this is my Latin life, uh, there is a city there I'm dying to film in. It's called Ciudad del Este. Yep. And uh, from what I, I've never been, but I'm told it's like the wild west of uh Latin America that it's uh, a lot of contraband is flown through there. And uh, there's even rumors that there's some Hezbollah uh, militants hanging, hiding out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just sounds like a fascinating city that that is definitely a potential episode for me that I would love to go to Ciudad del Este film there and see, see what kind of crazy adventures I come across. Cause I can't imagine uh, it's at the tri I was we on a, the, the triple the frontier. Yeah. The yeah. You have uh, Argentina and uh, Brazil right across the border, and uh, mm -hmm. I heard it's just like yeah, uh, I, I was actually there in 2021, um, okay. in, in uh, like May June 2021. I uh, went to Ciudad del Este um, on my personal channel. I, I actually filmed some stuff, put it up, um, and you're right. Um, the city, I guess, as a bit of a segue, so yeah, the city um, has a huge Arab population. Okay. I would say. Over a hundred thousand Arab speakers are in are wow, in that cool. area, uh, so that's a really significant amount. And you'll hear Arabic on the street, and there's all these um, like shawarma guys um, on the street, and all the all the shawarma stands all over town are like actual like dudes from Lebanon and, right. and the Middle East, like speaking Arabic with their brother, like yelling in the kitchen and all mm -hmm. that. Um, so it's really it's um, yeah, it's awesome for food. And um, yeah, there and it wasn't a rumor. There actually was like Hezbollah financing going on there. Yeah, they've like a, they've like arrested some guys and stuff like that. You can kind of look it up. There's Wikipedia articles. Okay. Uh, so there there was a little bit of that going on. And you're right. It's it's actually just a wild west uh, economically speaking. Uh, the 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 border is basically an open area where you can go over the border without your passport from Paraguay to Brazil. You just walk across the bridge and no one's going to stop you. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of trade. Um, people will, you know, buy stuff in Paraguay, bring it back to Brazil, you know, load like an entire Dodge caravan to the brim full of clothes or, or makeup or whatever, and then go sell it in Brazil because um, they can buy it sort of tax-free. And it, yeah, it's just nuts. It's sort of like a super rundown Hong Kong or something, you know, like crazy crazy like rundown buildings with the wires everywhere million people on the streets stands like just like it's um just like a huge open air market basically um cool. and and it would definitely work well as a no-go zone and not particularly dangerous at all you'd, you'd have no problem filming there okay so i i think uh you sold me i think uh hopefully this year i'll get a chance to go down to paraguay uh yeah. since, since this is a latin american uh uh, website uh, other cities i definitely want to film in is bogota uh -huh. and uh lima because i have family connections there and uh, we talked about medellin briefly at the beginning uh comuna 13 i think would be a good uh, mm -hmm. good place and uh cali i hear has a bad rep you know has a shady reputation too uh buenaventura yeah. have you been to buenaventura colombia i i know it is on the pacific coast yeah, yeah. That would be a really good one to film. Yeah, because no one goes there. Like, the tourists do not go there. They, they do yeah, not that get shit it, is like, ghetto. Perfect. Sounds like a good, sounds like a good <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there's sort of like two 
travel pass that you can take almost. Um, you can go to a normal frequented city and then go to the bad parts yeah. or you can go to somewhere that's just like straight up all bad or, or, right. or slightly dangerous. So, and it, you can kind of do a little bit of both. So you have a little bit of like flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah. I figure, uh, cause you know, uh, Rio de Janeiro, yeah, you have the touristy area mm-hmm. and you have the favelas you know, where things can get kind of intense. Right. Or you could go to like Northern Brazil where the whole city is scary. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. Uh, uh, I heard some people say Salvador is very culturally rich, uh-huh. but kind of dangerous. Yeah. But I haven't been, so I definitely again that that they would make a great future episode too. Go to Salvador. Oh, you could get a whole season out of Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, or uh, Central America too. Uh, since speaking, you know, uh, San Salvador. I mean, you have uh, the MS thirteen active there, mm-hmm. but. Um, Speaking about Salvador, uh, one guy I, who I'm really uh, pulling for is the the president there, Naib uh, Bukele. I think that's how you pronounce yep. it. Yeah, yeah. He is embracing technology like no other Latin American president has before with his whole uh, love of crypto and yep. to bring investment like that. I mean, uh, I want to give that guy a round of applause for thinking ahead and for trying to put El Salvador in, you know, in just to move it along and to uh, break away from its painful past and to really lift up, because, uh, you know, Central America has a lot to offer. Uh, fertile, it's history. You have uh, nice people there. You have beaches. You have, but due to the, the crime, yep. it does scare away uh, some tourists. And uh, hopefully, uh, I mean, I'm really cheering for that guy. Yeah, I, I actually want to get down there and yeah, same do here. Some, some boots on the ground stuff because. Uh, there's definitely going to be some announcements soon, and I almost want to be there in El Salvador because they haven't they announced sort of the Bitcoin residency in Bitcoin City, right. but they didn't announce the details, and it's not like an open program yet. The high level uh, knowledge we have is that there might be a residency for three Bitcoin or somewhere thereabouts, awesome. or or you buy like bonds equivalent to three Bitcoin. Hmm. Um, but the details haven't been unveiled really. It hasn't been launched, but I think it's going to be really soon that announcement. And so I'm almost like, it would be kind of sick to get down there, be one of the first people in line, you know, put the Bitcoin down, get the residency, get, and just like, I don't know. And just, it, 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 so I, 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 I think it'd be cool to be there for that. I think for some people that could be a valid strategy. Um, but also it'd just be, it would be such a, a mind fuck to be there and, you know, use Bitcoin for transactions and Absolutely. go to meetups and just sort of like see, uh, with this sort of like futuristic, um, society could look like. Exactly. And it's amazing. Cause now listen, we're discussing El Salvador before Naib took power. Whenever we, I would mention El Salvador is about, uh, MS-13 or, uh, get violence or, uh, yeah. or I mean, they do have good coffee, you know, so let's give uh, props to that. Yep. And we're, we're kind of changing the conversation and the fact that now people talk about investing in El Salvador, I'll right? make it, make mm-hmm. it the crypto capital of Latin America. Why not? I mean, uh, it's, we live in a, an interesting time where more mm-hmm. people want to move to El Salvador than want to move to Canada or Australia right now. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Huh? You know, if they can attract uh, the crypto crowd, wow, it's going to turn that country around. 
And so I, have you uh, heard about the, the Canadian Freedom Convoy? Oh, is that the truckers? The truckers, the trucker yeah. movement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's um... so. So it's actually today. Um, really? I normally yeah. wouldn't even bring it up, but um, it's today. And so actually, this morning uh, here in Playa del Carmen in Mexico, we had like a Canadian freedom rally uh, here in Mexico, and they're having them all over the world. So we had about a hundred strong people out in the park. We took pictures. We had you know big Canadian flags and stuff like that. That's awesome. You know. Uh, awesome. Big, big signs saying like freedom, you know, we support our truckers, blah, blah, blah. So that is great. I, I was actually literally just at that this morning and I was like, okay, guys, I got to go record the podcast. Um, and so, um, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> I don't know what my, uh, my segue was there, but hope, so, I mean, uh, I, I think it's interesting. I think there is overlap uh, in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a movement that's unveiling and, um, Finally, a little bit of hope for Canada. Yeah, I mean, uh, things in the states. It's weird uh, how what the whole shutdown in the states happened. Uh, I live in Florida, and mm-hmm. our governor was saying that we're not shutting down. We're going to keep keep it going. And in the beginning, he took a lot of criticism, but it turned out to be the right decision because um, New York City shut down really bad and. What happened? All those people moved to Miami. Miami is growing at an exponential rate. Yep. And uh, it's because we're the most probably one of the most business friendly places to be. Mm-hmm. And, and for um, all the gringos that are uh, listening to your podcast, Miami by far is the most Latin city and bilingual place to be in the states. Yep. Like if you don't want to move to Latin America, I tell them just come to Miami. It's close to the same thing. I mean, you have American technology and efficiency here, but you have the, the culture here. And uh, like, I think I told you in a text uh, conversation we had, uh, I probably spent half the day speaking in Spanish here. Right. So go figure. You know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you'll, you'll get your order taken quicker. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And uh, this is the financial capital of Latin America in a way, because all the banks from uh, Brazil, they'll have branches here. It's uh, yep. their media companies are here. Telemundo's here. The Univision is here. So yeah, all- it's funny. I mean, Miami was basically not even an American city five years ago. It was basically a Latin city. Normal Americans, like basically, there was no jobs. There's no jobs for someone to live there. You could only really move to Miami once if you had independent income or right. if you like were already rich because it was one of the basically lowest paying cities in the country, mm-hmm. sure. uh, especially relative to the cost of living. Oh, um, where you, you'd be you'd be lucky to get like a 50k job in Miami in a call center. There was just no jobs. Uh, there's like no you know factories or anything or like no. or like high level. There's no there was no tech, and Miami has. It, but it was always sort of the Latin American business capital because it was a place where people from all over the Americas and the Caribbean, from those you know mm-hmm. two dozen countries, could get together on sort of a neutral ground. And, you know, obviously it's always been easy to open an American LLC and um, they could do business there because your, your options uh, were basically the U.S. or I guess Panama. Right. And um, or, or one of the Caribbean islands, which uh, wasn't really accessible for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Miami has always been the spot now. Uh, with the new mayor, they've they've embraced freedom. They've embraced uh, Bitcoin. They've embraced tech. They've said, "What can we do to help to bring more right. and more people here?" 
And now finally, you know, people from California are finally fed up. They're moving to Miami. People from the Northeast are fed up with the snow. And finally, there's sort of enough uh, momentum in Miami where it makes sense as a destination. And basically, the entire United States is now just like, are we going to Texas or are we going to Florida? Pretty much. You, you nailed it. That's pretty much how it is. Yeah, where it's one or the other. Because uh, what New York did in uh, in its shutdown, it's it was draconian. Mm-hmm. And uh, listen, no one wants to get sick. Uh, just to get very personal, I had I had COVID. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fun, but you know you got through it, and that's it. And so I now have the antibodies. I was I was to get vaxxed, but you can't to to stop the whole economy for this. Where uh, well, we have the flu is still running around. I mean, it's just. Uh, didn't make sense to me, but I'm glad. I mean, out of all the cities, I think Miami handled it reasonably well compared to New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle. And how long have you lived in Miami? I have been here since 2003. So, oh, shit. yeah, I've been here a while. I actually got married here. I got divorced here. So, uh, I've, uh, yeah, I've had a full life here almost. Yeah, you're a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> Been there a long time, and I, I yeah, I feel like you could do no go zones in Miami and make a whole season out of that. You go to Hialeah. There's a million kind of like wow, I'm surprised you know about Hialeah, cool, <laughs> cool cutty spots. Yeah, I spent some time in in Miami. I've spent maybe like three months in total in Miami, like doing digital nomad stuff. Okay. Um, I I I'm from Canada, but I'm I'm, I'm set up in the states now. And when I was originally looking at where should I set up, I wanted to set up in Florida, but there was just like one or two technicalities where um, it was difficult to sort of get like a a mailbox, like a PO box type mailbox and, um, and sort of like get set up there without fully living there. And, but, but Texas actually was more welcoming to that. And Texas made it easier to get driver's license and, uh, you know, bank accounts and stuff like that. Um, just slightly. Um, so I, I, I personally went like a Texas route, but I mean, either way, I mean, it's, it's definitely funny how I think the U S is getting, um, more and more Latinized really. I mean, uh, most people don't realize that literally like one in four, one in five Americans speak Spanish. Like it's 60 million plus people, which is probably a, a low count. Um, so at least 60 million plus people already makes it I guess the number two Spanish speaking country in the world after Mexico. I, I totally believe you. Uh, like I said earlier, you can literally spend the day here speaking nothing but Spanish. Mm-hmm. If you stay in certain areas, of course, but um, there are people who spend their whole lives in Miami and never learn English. Yes, you are correct. I always joke that uh, for people that come here from, let's say pick your country, that's Spanish speaking country. The worst place to learn English is Miami because <laughs> everybody speaks it. And uh, I mean, everybody speaks Spanish. So if you're struggling to say a phrase, just say it in Spanish, they'll understand you. And, uh, or even green, you know, me being American born, I mean, uh, I don't have a Spanish last name, so I kind of fool people <laughs> mm. you know, having a European last name. And, uh, they realize, Oh, you do speak Spanish. I go, yes, I do. And plus the stereotype, uh, you know, Peruvians being, uh, you know, very dark and squat looking and I'm not. So it's, uh, that's the stereotype that when I found out I'm half Peruvian, like really, I never, never would have imagined that. 
I get that and, a lot. Uh, I guess for anyone listening that uh, doesn't have uh, a conversational grasp of Spanish yet, um, honestly, I just think as an American, it's like an incredibly useful skill for Americans to speak Spanish. I think it's an absolute superpower in America, uh, not just in Miami, but I think it'll, it's useful. You could you could, you know, be dropped in any city in the United States and it's going to make your experience better and uh, it's going to make it easier to make friends and it'll just generally be a superpower. I mean, what's it like for you speaking Spanish in Miami? Would your, does it make your life easier? What's sort of your general thoughts on, um, you know, uh, uh, the benefit of speaking Spanish in the U.S.? Oh, it's huge benefit. Uh, whether it's uh, ordering a meal at a restaurant, uh, dating, uh, it's uh, definitely because uh, you know when you're American here, uh, you you know you go out to pick any nightlife place. Uh, chances are, half, at least half the females there are going to be from Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, what have you. And their English sometimes isn't the best, but if you can break the ice and tell them you speak Spanish, and then they always fascinated, like, wow, but you. Your name, you know, what a, you don't have a Spanish name. How did you learn Spanish? And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, I explain my background. They, find just, they just find it interesting. But, yeah, um, I remember maybe like five years ago I was in Miami. And uh, it was before I kind of started my uh, Spanish-speaking journey, before I started my Latin <laughs> life. Right. Uh, my personal Latin life, the blog had been around um, uh, with uh, the, the OG Vance, the previous owner. But um I remember I was in a nightclub in South Beach and I went up to like some super hot girl. Sure. And I was like, hey, like, where are you from? And she was like, Cuba. And I was like, what? Cuba. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, Cuba. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and yeah. I got blown out. I got blown out. That yeah. conversation was over. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of Cuba, have you ever been? Um, I have not, but. Okay. Um, my cons- I have some concerns about – it would be difficult for me to work as a digital nomad and work online oh, and have access, have access to Google and all my stuff mm-hmm. without using a VPN. Um, that being said, we're actually probably launching a series of city guides on Cuba uh, on mylatinlife.com. We have the big three right now, um, Havana, Santa Clara, and Santiago we have city guides for. Um, but I think I'm trying to get – like every city in Cuba done and have like city guides for like 12 cities in Cuba. Cause Cuba is like actually enormous. It's like it is. actually it is. an enormous Island. It's got a huge diversity and there's actually a lot of cities with over a hundred thousand people. There's probably like 15 cities with over a hundred thousand people, which is a pretty sizable city. Yeah. They all have like slightly different vibes. Mm-hmm. And I think these like smaller uh, towns in Cuba are actually super epic because I know they have really well-preserved colonial buildings and yes. uh, you're going to have like an awesome, authentic experience and, and get the, the salsa as you referred to earlier. Correct. I've been twice and I would like to go again to film because it's considered a, you know, Cuba is not a easiest country for that Westerners go to because, you know, the whole communism thing and uh, the mm-hmm. tech, you said, like, there's no internet there practically and it's uh, super regulated with uh, the police everywhere, but it is a fascinating place. Uh, I hope one day they get taste freedom. I'm for, uh, I'm really uh, not a big fan of communism. I'm kind of anti, uh, you know, I'm 
capitalist all the way, but um, it's for the people there to, to decide. Hopefully one day the people will get a bigger voice in the government instead of living under this uh, totalitarian regime. But uh, I have yeah, been- I do. I do. Um, I think, I think you'll find sort of that consistent theme where on the ground, it actually is more free, more normal. People are enjoying their lives. They're going for yeah. ice cream, you know, along yeah. the boardwalk and all that. Um, I know, I know some people that like maybe that I know some people in Cuba basically, and I see the mm-hmm. Instagram stories and they're just doing normal stuff, you know? So sure. it is, it, it's just a, you know, you can just go to a beach club and have a rum and Coke and chill. Sure. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like some depressing communism, you know? <laughs> no, it's, so, uh, I, I guess, you know, cause one thing about also being in Miami is that there's so many Cuban exiles here and all you hear mm-hmm. is all these horror stories, uh, you know, how uh, the boat or whatever. Yeah, like, uh, you know, God, they, you know, you hear the stories like uh, Cuba, my uncle was detained because he criticized the government. And uh, he was, you hear so many uh, horrible stories, like, oh, my God, it's such a, not, that's no way to live. But, um, uh, I mean, I do hope they, they get freedom one day. I really do. Because I think uh, everybody deserves to live in freedom. That's just personal uh, view of mine. But Definitely. I'm not a big fan of intervention either. If they're going to do it. Let them let it happen organically, not uh, by having like a, our military go in and, you know, make changes, because uh, I've seen the effects of that in Iraq and uh, not to change the topic, but you see what happened in Libya. When you have this in, these interventions, it usually backfires on you. So it's better that it happens on its own. I agree. That's just, that's just my own little uh, spin on it. Yeah. Have you read uh confessions of an economic hitman the book no i haven't it's a book about a guy who worked for i believe the the world bank or the imf and he sort of explains sort of the the uh sort of like the military industrial complex there about how you go to a country you create some uh fancy report saying we need infrastructure we need bridges we need ports uh, we need just random infrastructure that requires debt and then to, right. to build it. And it's all good because, you know, jobs, economy, blah, blah, blah. But then where are they going to get this debt from? And they have to get the debt from the World Bank or the IMF or a couple of these um, interdevelopment bank organizations. And then once you take the debt from these organizations, then you're pretty much at their beck and call because – they can cancel the next tranche of the debt or raise the interest rates or just really mess with your, your country's sovereign credit rating. And then you're just completely, it's sort of like debt-based capitalism or, you know, debt-based, uh, what's the word political outreach. And, um, uh, that's like a way that we've sort of like been able to economically control Latin America and uh, you know most of the most of the world really, and it's a it's a fascinating book that has relevance in Latin America, but also you know in the Middle East and other areas. Sure, I definitely got to check that out. I'll definitely, uh, next long flight. It sounds like a good uh, some good reading material. Yeah, yeah, it was a bestseller. Like, there's mad copies out there. Um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. All right, uh, we'll start we'll start wrapping up. We did hit the hour okay. mark. Um, I thought maybe rapid fire name a bunch of places that would be cool to do a no-go zone in Latin sure. America. This is going to be a bit of a, uh, a freestyle here. I was thinking it would be cool to do the Darien Gap. 
uh, from yes. Panama to Colombia. Yes. And uh, sort of like get in there in the mud, seeing guys, <laughs> um, d- you know, traversing one way or the other. I thought another cool one would be I've been learning about um, uh, at the border of um, Mexico and Guatemala in Chiapas. Okay. There's a town that yep. starts with T. Um, and there's all these immigrants from Africa and all over the, the world, basically. And they're they're basically on their way to the U.S. to seek asylum. And they sort of get held up in Mexico. And Mexico sort of uh, weirdly, like, formalizes them and, like, gives them, like, an ID card so that they can, like, traverse Mexico as refugees on their way to the U.S. It's very weird. Um, there's, there's some journalists that are uh, covering this. Um, so that's another one in, in, okay, in uh, Chiapas, what's Mexico. Chiapas? Okay. I know Chiapas. Um, look, yeah. It's, it's like yeah. A, uh, just give me a sec here. I can pull it up. Uh, Tapachula. Tapachula. Okay. I'm writing that down. Tapachula. Cool. That's definitely food for thought. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be, uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely like, there's like a cartel war going on in Mexico where, uh, Guanajuato seems to be one of the, the, um, ground zeros of it. So in Celaya, um, and kind of all through Guanajuato, there's like crazy stuff going on right now. And I think Mexico has definitely been filmed a lot by people. Like there's definitely been guys that have, you know, filmed Northern Mexico and, and the vibe right. and the whole like narco culture of Northern Mexico. Yeah. But um, I've also always been interested in some of the uh, places like Chilpancingo, which is the capital of Guerrero, um, which is sort of like a dangerous city, but um, you know, the capital of a state with a lot of history and culture, and then sort of the dynamic of uh, a, like a, a strong, a, str- a place with hundreds of years, thousands of years of culture, but then also sort of like, um, sort of like modern tension, I guess. Um, where else? I think uh, Northern Brazil, uh, specifically. Right, Salvador around there. Uh, Salvador would be a good one for sure. I, I was thinking even more than North of Brazil, mm-hmm. uh, Belém, B-E-L-E-M. Hey, yeah, and, and Sao Luis as well. Sao Luis is in the state of Maranhão. And the state of Maranhão is really interesting. They have the best preserved uh, Portuguese colonial buildings going back 400 plus years, but it's also like the poorest state in Brazil, but they have amazing nature. Um, but it's like super like Africa level poor, but like amazing culture and stuff like that. And, um, it's like a crazy mix of like danger, but, but vibrant, uh, positive energy, but like extreme danger. (laughs) I just wrote it down. So, (laughs) Uh, so I think North, Northern Brazil, I've always okay. wanted to go to. So if anyone else goes, uh, you know, that's cool. And then I think for you personally, um, I think you should really do some stuff in Peru and sort of do some like discovering of your roots, go to like Lima is insane. It's like a 10 million person city it is. that <laughs> most people only know Miraflores and Barranco. Um, but there's a whole city and I think you could go into some of those more, um, um uh what's the word like normal neighborhoods and uh right, where it's more blue collar you know. yeah blue collar neighborhoods and and get that real lima experience and i bet it's totally different oh absolutely um, the, uh, the Kayao, like there. the big port there that's the mm-hmm. i heard it's a little rough and tumble there 
That's how mm-hmm. it's been described to me. Yeah. So th- th- there's just a couple. I mean, uh, Guyana, Suriname, and, and French Guiana, um, as you know, that's the place where most experienced travelers never make it. Right. Uh, yes. So, so like Suriname and Guyana would be like <laughs> super cool as well. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the big ones I'm thinking. I think. Uh, yeah, I think uh, one uh, Caribbean place that's uh, definitely a no-go zone, uh, Haiti. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, it's got an interesting story there. I, I, and it's gotten worse, right, because of the yeah, the recent uh, the recent president that's got yeah he got thing. killed he got killed on the job. Yeah. Which is, God, I mean, I, we shouldn't be laughing, but just insane what's going on there. It is insane. The yeah, that, is safe there. Yeah, that would be a, that would definitely be a crazy one. That would be like extremely dangerous. My God. Yeah. Yeah, I, have to, so, I would definitely need a fixer there. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I think Latin America could potentially be a uh, area of expansion for your brand. If you do, obviously, my Latin life will be here to to support and and promote uh, any content that you put out from there, and maybe even catch you somewhere along the way. Absolutely, uh, definitely. And uh, you're in Playa del Carmen, I think I heard you say that's a, that's yeah, a you're definitely. in a good area. You're in a good area. I was there about four years ago for a wedding mm-hmm. and uh, one of my cousins had a destination wedding there and I had a blast. I had a great time there. Definitely. Yeah. Playa's Playa's good. Playa's good. It's uh, it's very comfortable, you know, walking city, walk to the beach, yeah. lots of digital nomads, uh, enough Canadians to hold a freedom rally this morning. So That's cool. And it's not as uh, commercial as Cancun, for example, a little more laid back, which I like. Cancun's nice. I've been there too. It's not bad, but uh, it tends to get more of the frat crowd, uh, you know, the spring break type. And uh, I'm a little over that by now, at this point in my life. <laughs> I like Playa a lot. Yeah. Um, and then are, do you plan on going back to the Middle East at all? Uh, actually, in March, I'm going to Iraqi Kurdistan. Oh, shoot. Yeah. So I'm going back in March. That'll probably be the last Middle Eastern episode for a while. Because um, I do need to branch out more. I need to go to uh, film in Latin America, for example, or uh, even go to Africa. You know, Somalia would be a Somali land would be a good place. Or uh, I mean, anywhere in West Africa, you can go there too. Senegal, well, it's uh, maybe not Senegal, but uh, like uh, Guinea-Bissau, Liberia would be a good one. Places yeah. like that would definitely, uh, or or even going back to Asia, Bangladesh, you know, something like that would be uh, pretty eye-opening. Yeah. I, I would love to see like the Sahel countries, which is like um, Mali, yes. Niger, Chad, Burkina Faso. That's that stuff Absolutely. would be crazy. That would be good. Yeah, it's uh, like I said. Uh, hopefully, the series uh, will keep growing where I get where it can get to the point where I can say adios to my day job and just do this full time. And uh, that would be, cool. be uh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I should have asked you this way. I mean, what are your plans for 2022 for Mike No-Go Zones? What can we sort of expect on the horizon? Iraqi oh, Kurdistan. Well, Kurdistan's the next, it's going to be the next episode. Uh, after that, I'm definitely looking into uh, maybe either Bogota or uh, somewhere else in Latin America. I'll tell you what, when I, now, when I get ready to make that announcement, I'll do it on your website. How's that? Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. We can definitely do something like that. Yeah, we'll, uh, I'll announce it there. It's just a matter of finding, you know, getting time off and all that. That's the my big challenge. But So you'll be going up to Erbil and Mosul probably? 
Uh, Mosul is still under, is actually pro- Iraq proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can go there because uh, to get the visa, for Americans to get the visa, we get it on arrival. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mosul will be a nice side trip, but I'm going to pretty much concentrate on the, the Kurdish area, like uh, Dohuk, Erbil, Suleim- Suleimaniye, okay. those three cities. Just go back and forth around there. That'll and be good fun. Yeah, and there's a town there I want to definitely hit up. It's called uh, Lalish. It's, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of these people. They're called the Yazidis. They're like a minority religion in Iraq. And uh, there's only 200,000 of them left on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's a tiny, you can figure that you can fill up two football stadiums with that amount of people. And uh, uh, their holy city is called Lalish. It's like their Vatican or their Mecca, if you want to say that. And I definitely want to, it's a town I definitely want to check out because. These people, it's, uh, they, were, uh, they were hit pretty hard when uh, ISIS came through there. They were, uh, a lot of the men were killed and uh, a lot of women were uh, captured in, into sexual slavery. Again, sorry to bum people out with this, but uh, it's what happened. And uh, it's a community that took a lot of hits and suffered a lot. So it'd be, I would definitely want to, there's some kind of memorial that I can lay some flowers on. Uh, these people definitely deserve it. So I, yeah, I think I think the up. culture of the Middle East is fascinating, and and I think people would be surprised to know how many um, small sort of endangered languages and cultures oh, yeah. there are there that that mm-hmm. coexist together, um, and, and ethnic groups and stuff like that. It, it's actually really fascinating. I, I wish yeah. I could have spent more time in this episode on it, but I wanted to sort of keep things a little bit Latin America centric. Maybe for like a last little value add thing for, for anyone still listening would just be to talk a bit about gear. So what kind of gear are you bringing when you do uh, these trips? Let's say you go to Kurdistan. What are you doing for like a phone plan? Um, are you packing sort of like backpack only or do you have like luggage or just bring us through a couple of your like gear tips? Uh, well, I definitely bring my laptop. Uh, the camera equipment that I use is GoPro. Mm-hmm. And I use uh, I have the little stand. I also have the the boom mic to help record uh, the audio. And uh, I try to pack lights. Uh, I just bring like one little suitcase, you know, clean enough clean underwear to last, a uh, toothbrush, things like that. Uh, just in case I go to somewhere any or fancy or formal, I will bring like a long sleeve black shirt so I can dress up if I have to. You know, if we go yep. to a night spot or whatever. Uh, mostly jeans. Don't bring too much. Um, Comfortable shoes, of course, to walk around. And uh, again, for there's a fancy night on the town. Bring one pair of black shoes. And as um, uh, my camera equipment, uh, my as far oh cell phone, I um, I buy a local SIM card. It's pretty easy to find in any mm-hmm. any country to go to. And believe it or not, uh, most restaurants and cafes wherever you go has Wi-Fi. So you just ask them for the local Wi-Fi password, and boom. Down, you know, get on WhatsApp. You can send your emails. You can catch up on all your work. So, and in your experience, like with the SIM cards that you'd get in the Middle East, did they have a lot of data, and you would just tether your phone to your computer and then work off the the SIM card data? A decent amount. I mean, definitely enough for a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I've done that, but mostly I've just used uh, the Wi Fi. In the, either in the hotel or uh, if I go out to eat, if I you know hit up a place for lunch. Yeah, because the big thing is like uploading footage to the cloud and just make sure that it you is. have uh, backups. Right, it doesn't, you know, just in case it gets lost. Yeah. 
But yeah, chances are uh, there's going to be like one thing. The reason I like Lebanon too is that literally there's a Starbucks in every corner. Mm-hmm. So uh, they usually have the best Wi-Fi in Beirut, and uh, I would go there a lot. Just uh, I mean, I hate to be that American guy that goes to American franchises abroad, but for tech reasons, I was uh, I'd get a coffee there just to you know check up on my emails and catch up on work. And, no, they're, uh, they're providing a good service. Yeah. Um, qu- quick question about the GoPros. I, ha- I have one as well. I've done some blog stuff as well. I This is weird, but I almost find that the very default out-of-the-box standard setting, I can't beat it. Like I've played around with the settings. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, like the landscape and this and that, different whatever. And I, I always just find the, the, the default preset better. Do you have any um, – specific settings that you use when you vlog no just the de- like you said the default settings it works it's, i've been using it since from day one and it's been that way since i haven't made default any settings wide wide yep. 1080p right and it's been it's been working so far i always i always go by the adage uh if it's not broke don't fix it it's been working so far definitely man um yeah thanks for that so um, yeah, any um, so again, obviously Mike's channel is Mike No Go Zones. No Go Zones is one word: N O G O Z O N E S. Anything that you want to shout out? Um, do you have any? Um, um, yeah, anything you want to promote? Uh, I guess to the original Vance for starting my Latin life. <laughs> uh, to Mark for uh, you know, uh, I said you said uh, you know he made. Uh, help him collaborating and uh, being the common goal between for this. Mm-hmm. And um, another guy on, on Twitter that I follow a lot too, uh, Jake Nomada. I never yep. met him, but I, you know, we, he follows me on Twitter. I follow him and uh, he's, he's put some really interesting things about Latin America too. And he's posted yeah. some very interesting articles. Have you had him on? He'd make a good guest. Yeah. I'm trying to get him on. Uh, we, we've hung out. We've, we've partied in Panama and stuff. Okay. Um, so uh he he told me once I hit ten episodes, he come on. <laughs> okay, I, I'm help, I'm glad I can help you. Uh, you yeah. know, what, do you, what do you like? What do you like about uh, Jake Nomada? What, about his content and stuff? It's very not politically correct. And uh, let's be honest. I mean, these days and times, you can't say anything without some uh, woke person uh, criticizing you or chasing you for this and that. I mean, it's just. Oh, uh, you know, we live in such a society uh, now, uh, you know, dominated by these Karens. You know? <laughs> I mean, sorry to, I'm probably, I'm probably gonna, we're probably going to flag in this interview right now just by me mentioning that. But uh, I like that it's no holes barred, very masculine, very manosphere oriented and mm. uh, just no political correctness, no BS and uh, tells it like it is. That's what I like about his posts. So, yeah, shout out to him. Also, uh, Traveling the Unknown. He's on YouTube. He's the one that got me to go to Syria. Mm-hmm. And my guide in Iraq was, uh, uh, was it? his name's Bjorn Augustad, Augustad. But you can find, if you watch my Iraq episode, you'll see his Instagram pop up. He's, he was a great guy too. He's a big traveler. And, uh, but yeah, let's go back to, yeah. Traveling. Yeah, do you have now. any other um, uh, influences of your own or recommendations uh, for people that we should all check out and also, you know, people, any suggestions for who I should speak to on this podcast? Uh, let's see. Well, Jake Nomad will be good, uh, for Latin America, traveling the unknown, uh, uh Vaga Bjorn. 
would be a good guy. V, yep. That's the guy who mentioned V A G A Bjorn. I, I I've seen him through uh through uh, Zolo. Okay, he has been he broke the record. He has been he's the youngest Norwegian to hit up every country in the world, and yeah, of course, obviously he's gone through all of Latin America and he spent a lot of time there. So by all means, uh, hit him up if you want to talk about South America. He's been there. He actually <laughs> yeah. was. Uh, he came through Miami recently and he uh, crashed in my house for a night. No way. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, can I sit? I'm like, of course you can, bro. I go, you're my brother. Of course you can stay here. We, you know, uh, I showed him a little bit of Miami. It was on a Tuesday night, so it wasn't exactly a big night to go out, but I did show him a little bit of uh, Calle Ocho in Miami, Little Havana. Mm-hmm. We had fun. We went out for a couple of mojitos. Unreal, man. Well, I'll have a, a mojito for you tonight, hopefully, vice versa. Um, thanks for coming on. This was definitely, definitely a fun one. Absolutely. And thanks again. And hopefully we'll be crossing paths one of these days. If I make it down to Mexico, I'll let you know, or any Latin American trips. I'll be, yeah, uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll reach out to my photographer buddy. I know he's been to Iraqi Kurdistan. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch and, um, you know, best of luck on, on the travels in 2022. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man.